Welcome to the smartest doctor in the room with your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell, interviewing the leading doctors in the country to get insights into the best medical treatments available today. Not everyone has access to the best specialists, but you can advocate for yourself and learn the right questions to ask your doctor and the best possible treatment options. Remember, what you know can make a difference in your health care. Welcome to The Smartest Doctor in the Room. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. Today's podcast will focus on treating chronic Lyme disease with modern Chinese medicine. Why do we need Chinese medicine to treat Lyme disease? That was my original impression. Lyme disease, as we know now, is caused by a bacteria in ticks and should be very treatable and cured by antibiotics. Well, not exactly. My background is in infectious disease, allergy, and immunology, and I can tell you from my experience in private practice, a chronic Lyme disease patient can be very difficult to cure with antibiotics alone. Lyme disease is well known for causing arthritis and neuromuscular pain and numbness. But to understand why it's so hard to cure compared to other bacteria, you need to understand some microbiology. Now, the common infections to bacteria like strep throat, staph on the skin, or even pneumococcus causing pneumonia in the lungs, all of those bacteria have cell walls, and antibiotics can easily break up those cell walls and kill the bacteria from multiplying. The Lyme bacteria, which is called Borrelia burgdorferi, is a spirochete. It's a nasty type of bacteria that doesn't have a cell wall and is able to change form to evade the immune system by getting inside cells. So I invited my guest today, Dr. Chin Zhang, for helping us to understand how modern Chinese medicine can help treat and cure Lyme disease. He graduated from the Shanghai Second Medical University and later was an associate professor there. In the 1980s, he was awarded a fellowship to train at Harvard Medical School and the Massachusetts General Hospital. In 1990, he began a private practice in California and shortly after moved to New York. He has been a researcher and practitioner of modern Chinese medicine. So without further delay, I'd like to welcome Dr. Zhang to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's my pleasure. Dr. Zhang, I was telling you right before we got on and got started that it was interesting how we connected. I had a patient that I was taking care of for another condition other than Lyme disease, but one day she happened to bring your book into my office and she said, you should read this, and it's called Lyme Disease and Modern Chinese Medicine, an Alternative Treatment Strategy Developed by the Zhang Clinic. So I said, okay, I'll get to reading this you know, one day, a lot of things I like to read. And then it was another time a patient brought up your name and said, oh, I, you know, I saw Dr. Zhang and he was helping me with acupuncture for you know, for Lyme disease. So now I was got very interested. So, Dr. Zhang, you mentioned in your book you've treated over a 1,000 Lyme disease patients uh, with modern Chinese medicine. I have never gone to a Chinese practitioner. I have never had acupuncture. So could you explain for me and the listeners, modern Chinese medicine, the way a little bit you describe in the book, you don't just use traditional Chinese 
diagnosis where they look at the tongue and and the nails and and pulse. you know of course pulse right yeah. thank you but you also mentioned about looking at blood tests so you could explain a little bit how you you know if you get a patient that says i think i have lyme disease how you assess them i think that uh, so called modern chinese medicine is integrative chinese and western medicine mm-hmm. that is that starting from late of 1950s china launched a movement to combining the chinese medicine with western medicine i'm the first generation of the medical student has to learn both mm. in my third year of medical school and after i learned anatomy histology pharmacology and pathology and then suddenly teacher as yin and yang and all my classmates rejected because we don't want this unscientific vague concepts but after we go to our internship and we find it works so we pick it up again so since then when i after my graduation i worked in the teaching hospital my work was to combining the chinese medicine and the western medicine this is my research field and i was working as a orthopedics there but the work is to how to using chinese medicine to accelerating the bone fracture healing and the, the trauma healing so this was my work back in china then come to this country i think that i don't want to further to cut people so i i change my profession to use totally concentrate on using chinese medicine particularly integrated chinese and west medicine to treat disease so this is my background so they're not what you're saying too they're not conflicting that in your practice and in a modern chinese medicine you can use in some ways the best of both because as you know what some of the biggest criticism of modern medicine as great as the technology is is that they don't treat the whole patient in our society in, in western medicine especially here in the united states especially here in new york everybody has a super specialty and more and more patients are gravitating to holistic medicine this type of patients i see in my practice because they want a doctor that's treating the whole body and as you describe and you probably know in chinese medicine too it's more than also just sometimes even the infection itself it's the patient's overall health and well-being So going back to again to so if you a patient comes into your office and says I believe I have Lyme disease here are my blood tests do you look at them and do you assess that in determining whether you think they have Lyme do you use some of your chinese medicine diagnoses like the pulse and the tongue and and other methods you know to establish you know I guess whether through acupuncture to make diagnoses could you explain the integration what i mean is to using the ancient western to utilize the modern bios medical science knowledge and the biomedical science knowledge is very important without this we don't, don't know what is the cause line and what is the pathology and how we can use some pharmaceutical um, pharmacological action to cure it So the Chinese med integrated Chinese medicine is to see the whole picture 
and also the principle as a guiding. I think for the modern medicine, the specialization is important to make deeper understanding of the specialty of the field, but also artificially separating the whole body. And lying is a typical example. Lying is a multiple pathology co-infection, also multiple body system involvement, multiple pathological mechanism. So with this kind of complexity phenomenon, only using simplicity anti-infection alone will not solve the problem. So we need to use Chinese medicine. Chinese medicine is multiple target regulatory medicine instead of a single-target suppressive medicine. The principle for anti-infection in Chinese medicine is supporting the good, eliminating the bad. Supporting the good means to support the, the vital energy, especially the immunity. And eliminating the bad is to eliminating the pathogens. So eliminating the pathogen is done by supporting the good body's immunity and defense. So this is multiple target regulation to make the body stronger, healthier, and its defense much more powerful. And then under the help of anti-infection substance, you can fight off the infection much more effectively. Yeah, I think you bring up a very important point, which I think listeners and patients who have even chronic Lyme disease should understand If you really think about it, these ticks that are out in nature, it's probably unlikely that they're just carrying one bacterium, like the Borrelia burgdorferi, which we know causes Lyme disease. A lot of these ticks also can cause something called babesiosis. That's especially prominent in the Northeast. They can also, there are ticks that contain a bacteria called ehrlichiosis, also that affects the body in multiple areas. And, and as you mentioned, too, the, the really tricky thing about chronic Lyme, like especially when I see a patient with chronic Lyme, typically they, would, they may have been even diagnosed years before, but they're still having symptoms. And to understand the immunology and this, what we call the microbiology, not to confuse our listeners, but the, this spirochete changes forms. And as you mentioned so nicely in your book, Yes, there's the, back, there's the simple bacteria form, which is, you know, again, if you catch somebody in the acute phase where they get bitten by the tick and, and maybe get the rash right away, that's probably the easiest one to treat with antibiotics or even Chinese medicine. The difficult cases come when a lot of patients don't even realize they were bitten by a tick, and then maybe months later they get neurological symptoms, possibly like Bell's palsy. They start getting neurological pain all over their body. They can get cardiac arrhythmias, and what's called the third stage of Lyme is the arthritis. And that's originally actually how Lyme disease was discovered. It was in a community in Connecticut where there were a bunch of young children that all were developing arthritis. And at the time, they thought they had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, but the epidemiology, meaning that the area, they have so many cases that it just didn't even make sense. It went against, you know, the norm of statistics. And when it was discovered that these children, you know, were actually suffering from this type of infection, then, you know, again, modern medicine was so happy, ah, we have an infection, now we can just treat it with antibiotics, 
and people will all get better, but that's not what we see. And again, when I see a patient that's have what I'd call third stage Lyme disease, I'm struggling to figure out ways to help, as you say, get their immune system strong. I use sometimes immunoglobulin therapy, which helps gives all the different antibodies people have to try to knock it out. But I was intrigued, and that's why I invited you on the podcast, the idea that Chinese medicine, you can target multiple infections and hopefully kill off the organism, which, as you mentioned also in your book, goes into what's called a cyst form where it can hide in the tissue and, and can evade the antibiotics. You mentioned in your book, now, again, being a skilled Chinese practitioner, you do acupuncture and you do herbology. And you mentioned in the book that you were treating patients with Lyme disease, with acupuncture, and you felt like you still really couldn't fully cure them and that's when you went back to, you know, to research and looking at this problem and started to come up with herbs that you felt would do the rest of the job. Can you explain that a little bit? The Chinese medicine in Western countries first introduced by acupuncture, especially acupuncture and anesthesia. So that acupuncture and anesthesia made acupuncture being accepted as a Chinese medicine in the Western country. That's right. I, that, that's, that's when it was really well known, that it could relieve pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, doing the acupuncture and anesthesia study for eight years back in China. And I showed the uh, acupuncture and anesthesia to Haig. Mr. Haig, he was visiting our hospital. But I think the Chinese mainstay of Chinese medicine is the herbology. Acupuncture is not the mainstay of Chinese medicine. So we're using uh, herbology to treat most of different kind of disease, especially infectious disease. And in chronic Lyme disease, it's not just the infection because long-term sickness, the etiological factors are not so important anymore because the pathogenesis creates more problems than the etiology. So because this, I think, we needed to look at the whole picture. And particularly, some of the diagnosis, misdiagnosis, like Lyme arthritis, looks like rheumatoid arthritis. If we don't understand this caused by underlying cause of Lyme infection, then we treated the rheumatoid arthritis with immune suppressors like prednisone right. or metatrexate. That makes the underlying Lyme disease very difficult to treat. I met many people, they first diagnosed as rheumatoid arthritis. Then they use this treatment. Then found that not only the treatment is not effective, and also made the underlying Lyme disease very difficult to treat. So that is why the too much specialized medicine is not very good. You have to send general looking at the whole body to holistically look at the body, why cause this rheumatoid arthritis can like symptom. It is not an initial or primary autoimmunity. It is caused by lying. Lying caused the immune dysfunction, including immune deficiency, like CD57 low. That's right. And also rheumatoid arthritis can symptom, ANA positive, Hashimoto, and vasculitis, and autoimmune encephalitis-like symptom. So this autoimmunity, then the oversensitivity, and the oversensitive to things like gluten intolerance are very common. So this part of Lyme pathology, 
sometimes conventional medicine often is overlooked. So we need the whole picture. Then we can treat Lyme much more effectively. Yeah, that's a great point because what what patients and the listeners need to understand is that when you've had the infection with the Lyme disease for for many months, possibly years, it's not so much the infection anymore. It's the inflammation that it's triggering in the body. The presence of this bacteria there is just shooting off signals to the immune system that's going overactive and having trouble destroying it. And instead, it irritates tissue, nerve tissue, joint tissue. So that that's a really key point. You mentioned also, too, can patients do both? Can they take antibiotics and the Chinese medicine, or is it counteractive? According to our experience, uh, we've been treating Lyme for more than 20 years, and the people, they can choose to do both sides are using our treatment alone. And to do both sides, I think only using antibiotics, there's some not sufficient because antibiotics are only good for bacterial infection. Lyme has some co-infection of non-bacteria, like Babesia, like Mycoplasma, like virus. Mm-hmm. So this only using antibodies cannot cover those co-infections. So we need to using very wide spectrum of anti-infection substance. can cover bacteria, microbacteria, fungus, protozoa, and certain virus. And also lying involving the central nervous system. So we have to use the substance that can easily go through BBB, the blood-brain barrier. Same mechanism to penetrate the biofilm, which the lion genes secrete to protect themselves. So we're using the substance with a very, very small molecular weight, very penetrable to do this. And the lion can go into a sister form, shed off the cellular wall, that many antibiotics destroy the bacteria based on destroy the cellular wall. Once they become wallless, they become less effective. Right, they are yeah. very so, difficult. So we use the substance that is killing the bacteria not based on destroy the cellular wall. And also antibodies made from fungus, not use. Long-term use can cause yeast overgrowth. Yeah, that's something I see a lot in my practice. You know, one of the things that I dread is that when I, a patient that's had chronic Lyme disease and has been on antibiotics for months, sometimes years, their whole gastrointestinal system is disrupted and they are sometimes they're getting the women are getting vaginal yeast infections the men and the women get oral what's called candidiasis a thrush and it's a huge problem now this is interesting too because it brings up the key point you mentioned and, and I, i've heard different things so i, I want to hear from you directly about chinese herbs because you mentioned in the book chinese herbs usually are low toxicity and there are other times, you know, you hear warnings from, I guess, whether it's the FDA or maybe Western medicine, you know, you've got to be careful because herbs can be dangerous. So maybe you could explain to us a little bit more again about herbs, like why they are safer or what should we watch, you know, what should a person watch out for? When, like, what's a contraindication to not be on a Chinese herb? I think any medicine has toxicities. And in Chinese, we have a saying that medicine is a toxin. So about the safety, we needed to know about the safety indicator is called ALD50. What dose causes 50% of the testing animal die? Right. Uh-huh. And then the ED50, what dose causes your intended 
effects show up in the 50% of uh, animals. Right. So LD50 over ED50 is the safety index. So we chose this substance with a high safety index. That is to ensure the safety. And why herbs, it's much more safer than the chemical synthesized drug is because I think on the earth, all the life are consistent. Like we, we like flower, beautiful. Uh, those butterflies also like flower. And we don't like the garlic smell. And many germs don't like garlic smell. Mm-hmm. So the life in the earth they have it consistent. So herbs are, the herbs are flower life. So they are not like a synthesized drug, never been in life. So this toxicity level is quite different. And also the Chinese medicine's formulation, it has the consideration to balance the toxicity. Like we have typically formula is consistent of four kinds of drug the herbal medicine. One is called emperor, that's the chief action. Then the assistant. Mm-hmm. Then the, the guiding of where, which location of the body to go. Then to compensate of the chief medicine's side effects. So these kinds of structure, most of make them less toxic. And also, they also quite much time-honored. This has been used for many, many years. So we have the experience. Not like a synthesized drug, are quite new. Right. That's actually a great point I want to bring out again to the listeners too. You know, one of the things in my own practice too, I mean, I even remember 10 or 15 years ago, they were producing a lot of new antibiotics. It was, all the drug companies were coming out with a newer, heavier antibiotic to treat, you know, that was supposed to be the miracle cure. Myself, personally, I was a little bit nervous. I said, I like when a medication's been around for a while because you don't know what the ultimate side effects are going to be. And for example, with medications called quinolones, which are very potent antibiotics, we now see so many illnesses related to that, aside from like, you know, tears of tendons and liver issues and stuff like that. So yeah, that, that's a really important point, you know, and Chinese medicine, when I again reading in your book, it was fascinating. I mean, they were treating... You know, patients that had syphilis in China, you know, hundreds, maybe a thousand years ago with herbal remedies that were curing these patients. And what's interesting is that the syphilis bacterium is a spirochete just like the Lyme disease. So, you know, there is like this history in China of, you know, having just a whole different way of treating and infections. I wanted to ask you this too, like on your flow chart in your book, I thought it was very interesting. You mentioned if a patient is diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease and there's no co-infection as far as you can tell, you begin a standard protocol where you give them these three things. And maybe you can explain, you give them, is it a leucine capsule three times a day? A leucine is the odor of the garlic. It's the odor of the garlic. Yeah, because now we have seen many garlic products in the house. Right, everybody, thinks, everybody knows it's healthy for you, but they don't want to smell like they eat yeah. garlic. They uh, are advocating odorless, chaotic, aged. They reduce odor. Reduce odor, reduce anti-infection efficacy. So it's worthless, or yeah. relatively worthless. And the garlic's anti-infection rely on odor. But the odor is chemically instable, cannot make products. It vibrates. 
So we using the Allison's precursor is called Elytridi, A L L I T R I D I. Elytridi is chemically stable, can make products, and one molecule Elytridi metabolize in the body, turn into one molecule of Allison. So it's equivalent to Allison. So this we can make the Allison virus potent. One capsule contains 20 milligrams of Elytridi equal to 20 milligrams of Allison. That is very potent. It is very potent. Yeah. So, and you're, and you feel by the patient taking that, this is going to help kill the bacterium that causes Lyme. This, these products I produced, developed when I treating AIDS. Really, AIDS patient, the HIV itself is not a killing. Killing AIDS patient is the opportunity infection. Right. Yes, I, I saw that in my residency. I, I took care of hundreds of AIDS patients. Yes, that yeah. was the... Bacteria, mycobacteria, PCP, right. Right. and uh, right. fungus, candidiasis, yes. mm-hmm. and uh, virus like CMV, retinitis. Exactly. And uh, those are the killing uh, factors. So we develop these products because we can use one product to prevent all these opportunity infection. So very wide spectrum. I have one patient with AIDS. He's Stephen. 1993, he came to see me. He has a zero T4 cells, PCP, retinitis, CMV retinitis, Kaposi sarcoma. Oh gosh, yeah, For this kind of condition, we using this alone made him from 1993 living to nine, uh, 2003. But uh, to 2003, because uh, his vision is very deteriorated, so he said, I don't want to live in anymore. So with this, so the Allison helped him to live in to extend his, did it change, his life. Did it change his viral levels? Did, was that measured at all? Did it change his... Controlled t- it, yeah. It controlled it. Did, it. did it change his T-cell count? Did his T-cell count go back up? T-cell count a little bit up. And like the CMV, it's the, the potency of Allison. It's compatible to Gansacrevil. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So this, I think that this is real, very potent. Now, particularly... I have a patient has MRSA, has Marcos, and this multiple resistant bacteria. We can use this as an alternative to treat this. And patients don't really build up resistance to herbs, is that correct? Because these herbs are not very extensively used, not like antibiotics. Antibiotics are very much abused. So germs develop resistance to them are very common. These herbs are very not as extensively used at all, so that uh, resistant to them um, we didn't see. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned also we were just talking before the podcast started too, because again, sometimes people get concerned about where these products are coming from. And you were saying that they are free of pesticides because they're all they're checked for that and for heavy metals and things that people might be concerned about. Because again, when they're coming from countries where it's not regulated by the FDA. There's a very strict criteria for exporting from China. And we have to meet the heavy metal residues of the pesticides, fertilizer residues, and also the bacteria contents and those testing. Then import to America. The FDA can sampling to do the 
check again. After they are sampling, then we can use it. Oh, so it is evaluated by the FDA when it's coming into the country. Yeah, but not like a drug, very strictly valued. And also, because we are using active ingredients, we are not using raw herb. Raw herb has lots of variations. The species can vary, producing place can vary, collecting season can vary, processing can vary. Raw herb has contaminations, the, the dirt, uh. fertilizers, that uh, pesticides, those things. So once you're using the active ingredients, like artemisia, we're using artesunate, A-R-T-S-U-N-A-T. Artesunate is one of the active ingredients in the plant. And it's very well isolated, purified, molecular structure determined, and also even improve its efficacy did some molecular modification to deliver to. Then in this way, we are very pure, using this very pure substance. So in this way, the consistency of the potency can be, and the quality control can be very consistent. Now, Dr. Zhang, I know you mentioned the book that some people, you'll do consults with them on the phone, but let's, let's say somebody's in now California or Arizona, and they want to try, you know, uh, modern Chinese medicine to treat Lyme disease, if they go to a local practitioner who's hopefully well-trained, or even, let's say, maybe American-trained, because there are a lot of now schools that are opening up, would they be able to comp- be comparable to something that you do, or is there really a wide variation between practitioners? The Chinese medicine school in this country and in Western world have different levels, and most people are doing traditional Chinese medicine and using like a tongue diagnosis, pulse reading, or yin and yang, five elements. And to the herb, mostly say hot and cold, descending, ascending. Right. And so these concepts has to be, make it concrete, can be under, understand, comprehensible, using the new language to interpreting that. Without this interpretation, it's difficult to talk with, uh, like, my counterpart. All my patients, they have already seen conventional medicine doctor. If I, I use this math, this yin and yang five elements to talk, my counterpart will never understand. I understand. So we have to use pathophysiology, using phytopharmacology to explain. Otherwise, uh, these two medicines, there's no common language. Right. Yeah. That, that's a really good point. Do you recommend a special kind of diet for your patients? I know you mentioned something about Andrew Weil's anti-inflammatory diet, which essentially means you know eating lots of vegetables and stuff like that too. But do you, in particular, when people are battling these conditions, do you you know make any kind of adjustments in their diet? I think a diet because primary Lyme disease in the pathological nature is inflammation, so anti-inflammatory diet is very good. And uh, drwell.com, in his uh, website, there's a special section about anti-inflammatory diet. And that uh, anti-inflammatory diet is for general everybody. Well, what does that mean to you? I, I, I like to think of an anti-inflammatory diet as something that's high in, you know, omega-3s, you know, like with, with olive oil and 
obviously like in salmon, certain kind of fish. So again, I mean, do you tell patients to avoid red meat, for example, or eat it maybe once a week? Because of course, you know, there's iron in red meat and, you know, other, you know, nutrients that they need, the vitamin B12. So I was just, I mean, again, if someone asks you for specific dietary advice, you just refer them to Dr. Wiles? Or do you say, you know, when you're seeing how if somebody appears very thin, you know, they're not eating well or... They're too heavy. Do you you don't discriminate when you're you know, recommending how they are treated? I think a diet now have lots of extreme idea. I have a doctor friend in his bag. He said cooked food is poison. I argue with him. I said if we don't cook cooked food, we are still living on the trees. That's right. So diet should be moderate, not very strict. Not extreme. Eating not only is for health, it's also enjoyable. The very important enjoyment in the life. So I think so-called multiple target regulation for treating chronic Lyme disease, including anti-infection, immune regulation, and also general health support, and then symptomatic treatment. Okay. Put them together then we can really address the chronic Lyme disease. Right. And that sort of takes me back to what we said at the beginning, again, why so many patients are seeking out holistic practitioners. And again, why patients, I believe, come to our practice in New York, at Mitchell Medical Group, is that they're looking for not just a quick fix. They're not looking, they're looking for an overall improvement in their lifestyle and their health. And, you know, one of the things that I think Chinese medicine does really take into account, and you mentioned in the book and another book I was reading on Chinese medicine, is that, you know, they do believe what is your environment like? You know, are you in, quote, a toxic environment where you're under so much stress or anger, you know, and not sleeping well? All of these things which we know affect overall health. So, again, is that something that you see or is it just really they need the herbs, they need the acupuncture? I mean, are you... Do you feel that's another part of the treatment? In my consultation section, a lot of the parts of the consultation is explaining why have these symptoms, why have this problem, how we can resolve it. This is mostly to solve their concern, especially the, the psychological concern. This work is very important. If you don't explain this symptom, why it happened, what the background is that, how can we resolve it? If we don't let the patient know that, they will be very much anxious or their, their anxiety not, cannot be resolved. Mm. So doing this part of work is very important, not only just explaining herb to them or what infection they have, how to, to treat. We have to make them find they can be cured. They have the confidence. They have to be looking forward to go back to work, have a normal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears> that's good, good points. Do you also feel in Chinese medicine, you know, they talk about Tai Chi and some of these other forms of exercise, uh, also yoga. Do you feel that's also an important part to help get, well, you know, as they like to use in, in traditional Chinese medicine, called the, or is it called the qi? Is that the correct qi. 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 Get the qi yeah. going throughout the body. Do you find that's important in, for patients? Qi is the vitality of the body. So qi is very important. And uh, doing qigong and uh, also tai chi, mostly just like a meditation. You're using your mind to guiding your body's qi to the sick point, sick place. 
This means to attract more blood goes there, to promoting healing, and the, the mind can guiding the body's function. This part I think is very weak in conventional medicine. We have to emphasize the mind is very important for the healing. If you give up, you will, you really you're going to fail. If you consistently you want to heal, then you will heal. This is the the mind can mobilize the body function, and to heal. People they very pes- pessimistic, then they're going to they're going to fail. I think this this part is what the social psycho medicine has to be much more emphasized. So I think that modern medicine is very mechanical, too scientific. We need the wisdom. We need the ancient. Western to using these scientific facts. Yeah, I think that's that's really really a great excellent point. Well, you know, when I decided to ask you to come on this podcast, I was hoping and I, I feel gratified because I think you've really explained so many of the things, the mysteries a little bit behind Chinese medicine and how it's being incorporated into today's world in in a way that I think patients feel comfortable. They don't feel alienated because, again, you know, it's something foreign or different to some Americans, even though it's it's really it's gaining in a lot of popularity. And you know, I, I myself, in reading your book, I learned a lot, and so much of it makes sense to me in in helping patients with chronic Lyme disease. And as you mentioned, you've taken care of AIDS patients, you've taken care of hepatitis patients, which I, I find really fascinating. So for any of our listeners, if you've really enjoyed this, I hope you'll give us a good review on the podcast. I want to thank Dr. Zhang for making time to come out of his busy schedule to share his experience and wisdom on treating chronic Lyme disease. Thank you, Dr. Yeah. Zhang. Thank you to help me here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Smartest Doctor in the Room with host Dr. Dean Mitchell. You can continue this conversation on Instagram at DeanMitchellMD, Facebook at Mitchell Medical Group, or at DeanMitchellMD.com. 